Well, welcome. Good to be with you here. You made it. You made it. Good to be with you. And welcome to everyone who's online with us. And uh, we're glad you're with us as well, those who uh, felt they couldn't brave the roads in getting here. So we are glad to be together. We're actually, for those online, we're actually together, traditional and uh, modern service together here all in one place. We kind of consolidated seeing the numbers of people that were coming. And, uh, but we're glad to be uh, together online, in person, on this kind of uh, winter day. We thought we kind of skated by without having to experience winter after that month of December, but here we are. And I want to actually take a minute at the beginning of our time and just take a minute and pray. Uh, there's a political event tomorrow night, <laughs> um, a caucus happening, and I think we should pray. We should pray for our nation. We should pray for ourselves and our neighbors here in this state, uh, that we would just make wise choices, um, that we would, you know, it's amazing when you read the scriptures and you read the Apostle Paul, uh, I mean, they were serving under emperors and kings. They had no say in who their leaders were, but they were told to pray for their leaders. And uh, we have a say in who our leaders might be. Isn't that incredible? Um, Paul would have never, I mean, the, the, the people of um, the New Testament, the churches of the New Testament, they couldn't have ever imagined um, having that kind of voice. And so I think we should pray for our leaders. I think we should pray for ourselves um, as we have opportunities, um, both at the beginning of this year and towards the end of this year, uh, to speak into what goes on in our nation. Let me pray for us. God, um, we thank you that we live in the country we do. We thank you that we don't serve under uh, emperors who claim to be divine uh, as, as uh, your church did in the early days, but that, God, we serve under um, elected and accountable um, leaders. So, God, we understand that we have a role in that. May we be those who stand up as Christians. May, be, may we be those who stand up for godliness, uh, both in the leadership of who leads our churches, both as we take seriously our roles as leaders in our families and in our workplaces, but may we stand for godliness even in the political arena. God, may we be those who don't settle for worldly values but for who stand for godliness, even in the highest places of power. And God, when it comes to um, what happens tomorrow night or what it, when it comes to what happens in November, God, we just, um, we trust you and we um, know that these things are in your hands, but God, we know that you've given us a role um, in this world. Um, may we stand firm and stand strong as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in a series, just two weeks, uh, called Why Church? Why Church? Uh, why do we gather? Why did you guys all bother to come here? Negative 12 degrees, negative 35 wind chill. What are you thinking? What are we doing here? I mean, maybe sleeping in a little late, staying in the cozy uh, house, and maybe sipping a little coffee at home. I mean, why did you bother to come this morning? Have you ever thought about how strange that is? That in 2024, 
somebody would wake up uh, on a Sunday morning, earlier than you normally would, and if you have four kids like we do, you get the kids all ready and you're getting them up and getting breakfast to them and we're, you know, you're throwing coats on and getting them out the door and, and going to this place where you park in this parking lot, you walk into this door. If you're, you know, uh, even in a church like ours, um, probably most of the people that you see, you're not necessarily gonna know them by name, they say you can only really, truly know like 150 people in a church, maybe 60 somewhat well. So you walk into this place where there's a bunch of people that you don't necessarily know. You come into a room like this, you sing some songs, you listen to someone get up and read from an ancient uh, book, a holy book, And then you sing another song or two, hear some announcements, greet some people on your way out, drive home. This is just, I think for people in 2024, even in America, like this just seems strange. Like even just singing together. Like where is it anymore that people actually come together and sing? And so why do we do this week after week? Why do we gather weekly as a church. Uh, It used to be assumed, you know, that if you're a Christian, you are a part of a church. In fact, everybody in America at least was like, tended to be a member of a church, even if you never went. It's like, well, I'm a member of whatever, whatever church. Well, oh yeah, who's the pastor at that church? Well, I don't know. I haven't been in six years, but I'm a member. Nowadays, often if you're a Christian, it's not necessarily an assumed thing that you'll attend a church. Here was a survey that was done just last year. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Agree or disagree? Here's the question. And this is to self-identified evangelical Christians. 58% agree with this statement. Worshiping alone or with one's family, which is important to do. Scripture talks about that. But the key is that It's a valid replacement for regularly attending church. 58% say, yes, I I agree with that statement. Now, what does the Bible say? Who cares what the 58% say? What does the Bible say? Are we to regularly gather with fellow believers for public worship? Or can you just do that on your own? Now, maybe you're convinced that, yes, we are to gather. If you're here this morning in negative 12 below, I'm guessing, like, you are convinced of this. But what would you say to a friend of yours that isn't convinced of this? What would you say to someone who's not yet a believer in Jesus who's like, well, why do you even go to church? What is that that all about? How How would you explain that to your kids as you're raising them in the Lord? I'm going to read for you a few passages of Scripture. We're just going to kind of dive in and just go through a bunch, beginning of the Bible uh, to even all through the New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, and see some common themes about worship, that it is together, that it is public, that it is regular, and what happens in worship. So towards the beginning of the Scriptures, this is Leviticus chapter 8, 3, and 4. See, there's good stuff in Leviticus. You need to read it. Uh, Leviticus 8, 3 and 4, God speaks to Moses. 
and tells him, hey, assemble the whole community at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord commanded. The community assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, this was for a specialized purpose, but they often would gather the whole community of the people together and assemble together, and God would speak to the people. This happened from very early on. There's ongoing public worship then that happened at the tabernacle, at the temple. Often, again, God's people would gather together for different festivals. They would gather together for different special times in the year of sacrificing. These times together also would involve music from some of the earliest days. Look at 2 Chronicles 5.13. This is a time when they were gathered together and the trumpeters and singers joined together to praise and thank the Lord with one voice. They raised their voices, accompanied by trumpets, uh, by cymbals, musical instruments, in praise to the Lord. And they said together, he is good, his faithful love endures forever. This is thousands of years ago, guys. This is 3,000 years ago, and God's people are gathering together. There's musical instruments, there's song, there's praise to God. The Bible is full of encouragements to come together and sing and even shout to God. Here's one example, Psalm 95, one and two. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. Now, did you, did you know that the Psalms The Psalms often talk about singing to the Lord, but did you know that the Psalms talk more about shouting to the Lord than singing to the Lord? 39 times we're told to shout, 38 times we're told to sing. There you go. And here it's like, shout in song. It's kind of put together here. What does that do for our worship when we picture that shouting as a part of it? It's not this like calm, reserved Lord, I need you, you. No, it's expressive, it's even loud. (laughs) Cymbals being played, trumpets being played. These are not quiet instruments if you're playing them well. Man, there's emotion in it. Some people get so concerned about, you know, we don't want to have emotionalism in the church. Guys, music. Why would God have given us music to worship with? It stokes emotion. We shouldn't be allergic to emotion. We shouldn't be allergic to some celebration, some joyfulness, and some volume. Some symbols. They sang, they shouted triumphantly, joyfully in praise and in thanksgiving. There were priests and Levites whose job was um, to sing and lead the people, to play musical instruments, and to lead the people 
in worship. There were Levites and priests whose jobs were to teach the scriptures and perform different sacrifices at the temple. Here's an interesting example. This is Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 4 through 8. Now, the book of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, are called uh, post-exilic books, so post-exile. God's people are sent into exile. They rebelled against him, disobeyed him. They're sent into exile in Babylon. They come back, uh, a, a remnant of them come back, and they're rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding, really, their whole society, the city of Jerusalem. And they had to kind of learn everything from square one. And so Ezra got up, and Nehemiah 8, verse 4 through 8, gathers you know, all the people that had returned from captivity. And Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Ezra opened the book, the scriptures, all of the people could see them, see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. And by the way, this was for like hours that they stood. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, uh, Jeshua, Bani, a bunch of other people with complicated names, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Sounds a lot like, I don't know, like a modern day church service with preaching and a, a, even a platform and where you're reading God's word and making the meaning clear so people can understand it. Now, what about in the New Testament? That's the Old Testament. What about in the New Testament? We know that the ceremonial kind of elements of the temple and the sacrifices and the law have been fulfilled by Jesus. But even so, there are many similarities between worship in the Old Testament and worship in the New Testament. We looked at Acts chapter 2 uh, last week, and in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And skipping down to verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So there are these, these, they're having these public gatherings. They're meeting in the temple. They're hearing the apostles teach and explain scripture, kind of like an Ezra sort of situation. And they're meeting for fellowship there's more and more people that are coming to faith in Christ and joining their number. Then look at Colossians 3, 16. Again, New Testament here. This is Paul to this Colossian church. The word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Isn't that interesting? You're singing to God. Did you think that this morning as you were singing? Those three songs that we sang as we came together, are you thinking, man, I'm singing to God. And as we're singing to God, guess what else is happening? We're actually teaching one another. We're admonishing one another. First Timothy 4.13, this is Paul instructing a young pastor the church in Ephesus, he says, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. 
public reading of the scriptures, teaching of the scriptures, exhortation of the scriptures. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. And isn't that interesting? Even in the early days of the church, within the first generation or two, there's this concern, there's this correction that's being issued here of like, hey, some people are neglecting gathering together. Do we realize how important that is, guys? Let's not neglect that. Old Testament, New Testament, there's a clear biblical framework and expectation that God's people will gather together regularly to worship him. It's not enough just to like be driving in your car and singing to whatever worship song is on the radio. No, we need to gather with other believers and sing to the Lord together uh, and even shout together. It's not enough to read the Bible by yourself or just to you know, listen to a sermon on YouTube. We need to hear the Bible read and explained and taught together. And this, you know, when you think about it, when you think about just what happens in the culture around us, this makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because when you think about that football team that you worship, I mean, cheer for, right? Um, like, it's not enough just to be a fan by yourself. Like, when the big game happens, you know, when Detroit, wherever Pastor Steve is here this morning, when Detroit is getting ready to play their first home playoff game in 30 years and lose to the Rams tonight, you know, like... <laughs> You want to you get, like, all two of your other Detroit Lions fans together and, and watch it, right? I mean, I think of the other day, uh, a couple months ago, my dad and my two older brothers, uh, my two older brothers, both big Packers fans, uh, it was kind of a bucket list thing to go to a Green Bay Packers game in Lambeau. And quite an experience. I mean, it was the whole thing. Like, we pulled up in the parking lot, and it's snowing. It's like, oh, this is perfect. It's 30 degrees, and you would think that it was, you know, 75 and sunny based on the fact that 70,000 people were crowded into the stadium. And just being there is an experience. I mean, you get literally 18 inches on a little aluminum bench. That's your seat. It's like, we paid that for the ticket, what? Um, but you stand the whole game. And, you know, I don't know if my shoulders, I think, are a little larger than 18 inches, um, my, my brothers, they're big guys too. So like we're all standing like sideways watching the game, you know, huddled up like penguins. And then when the ball would be over here, we'd turn the other way. And <laughs> but everybody's crowded together and everyone's loving it. You know, it's, there's a reason people come together for something like that, for an event like that. It's not just something you want to experience by yourself. And so we can understand, man, if, if, if we're willing to do that in our culture for a football game or for a concert or for a big movie that comes out, like how much more should we want to come together to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords? And in Acts 2, man, they would gather daily for public worship. And we understand that this was, you know, a unique time in the early church but as time went on, the church began to, they continued to gather regularly. They began to establish this regular rhythm of gathering on the Lord's Day, they would call it, uh, which was Sunday, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. They would gather on that day every week and celebrate together and worship. 
So should Christians regularly be part of public worship? Man, the Bible's answer is a resounding yes. Now, what, what should that worship look like? And what is the purpose of that kind of time that we share together? You can ask, you know, hey, why should we gather as like, kind of why should we bother to do that and come together? But then, hey, why should we gather in terms of what is the purpose of gathering together? Well, first, it's worshiping Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. And he's our Savior. He's our Lord. And this, this involves singing. This involves prayer. This involves celebrating the, the sacraments. And so let's talk about each of these. Singing. We've, we've talked a little bit about that already. Um, Colossians 3, 16 says, Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But whatever you do, sing to God and sing with gratitude in your hearts. And for some of us, maybe we kind of, I don't know, maybe we endure the musical portion of our services. Many Christians see kind of music as like a warm-up to, to preaching or something. But, but man, when we sing, is that your posture? Is that your heart? Is that your attitude? That you have gratitude towards God and you're singing to him. God must just love hearing us sing. Maybe that's why it's commanded so many times in Scripture. God enjoys our worship, our hearing, our singing. For some of us, it's maybe a little hard to believe, right? But, but God loves when we express our gratitude. Now, there's a lot of flexibility to what we sing. It's interesting that Colossians says, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's like uh, Paul is saying kind of anything and everything. There's psalms that are kind of directly out of the scriptures. There's hymns that are kind of the traditional songs of the church. And then there's spiritual songs. This kind of just opens it up to, 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 to even new songs. Anything that, that brings praise to God, that can be sung to God with gratitude in our hearts. And here at Trinity, you know, we... Uh, I just love that we have just a wide variety of songs that we sing, both in our classic service and modern service. We have multiple different kind of worship styles here, a lot of different instruments and a lot of different kinds of music. And, and I think what Paul's saying is, hey, you, you should be able to praise God with all of it. You should be able to sing to God with all of it. You should be able to have gratitude in your hearts, even if it's not a song that you particularly like. You should still be able to have gratitude in your heart towards God. If it's a song that expresses praise and worship to him. And some songs we sing here are very old. Uh, some songs we sing are very new. Some songs we sing are, are, are more loud and expressive. Some are more quiet and are more reflective. But no matter the song, uh, it can be sung with gratitude towards God. And we're very careful that these songs are songs that can be, uh, that can teach and admonish one another, that are, are chock full of biblical truth. Every song that we sing, we examine for biblical faithfulness. Now, when it comes to music, in the Old Testament, they would use the, the, the technology and the, the instruments that they had in their day. Uh, they didn't have speakers in the Old Testament. 
Uh, they didn't have uh, screens in the Old Testament. And you know what else they didn't have? They didn't have hymnals. They didn't have organs. They didn't have pianos. So today we have a lot of you know, new technology and new instruments that God's people didn't use 3,000 years ago. But just as God's people used the instruments of their day and the technology of their day to make beautiful and excellent music that glorifies God, we do the same thousands of years later. And we, we do our best here. We want to glorify God and, and, and perform that music with excellence. But again, what matters is not so much that we enjoy the music or that we enjoy the worship experience. What matters is that God enjoys the worship, right? I don't know if you've ever walked out of church and like, I don't really like that today. Well, does God like the worship? Does, are you singing with gratitude in your hearts? Is God enjoying the, the offering that you're bringing to him when you come together and sing and worship him. We also see in the Bible, God's people are called to come together and pray. Um, we see that in Acts 2. We see that in other places. And so when we gather together, we want to come and we want to pray. And we want to pray because we know uh, God hears us. We want to pray because we know that he wants us to speak to him. And then we're called regularly to practice the sacraments, to take the Lord's Supper together, to celebrate baptism together. The Bible doesn't say that we have to do these things every single week, but we're commanded to do these things certainly regularly, on a regular basis. And these are not things that you can participate in as well if you just do church online. And I love that we have the live stream. I love that there's you know, many people that are able to join with us today when the roads are bad and the weather's ugly. But it, it's kind of a little bit anticlimactic to participate in communion online. Uh, it's very anticlimactic to, um, to experience baptism online. Like, I don't even know how you do that. Like, take a cup of water and I don't, like, I don't think you can do baptism online. There are certain things that you have to come and gather and physically be a part of the service to experience. There's more we could say. Um, but we're going to keep moving. We also see in these scriptures that the purpose of gathering is reading and studying the scriptures, studying the Bible. Um, part of worship is, yes, we speak to God and we praise him and we pray to him. But then we also receive from him. And we hear him speaking to us through his word. And it's not just you that are hearing God speak in this time of, of, of preaching and exhorting, it's, it's me as well, as the preacher. I'm being preached to on Sundays as well. We see this over and over again. Nehemiah 8, Ezra stands up, reads and teaches the scripture. Acts 2, the apostles are teaching. Paul is telling his disciple Timothy, hey, read the Bible and teach it and exhort with it. And uh, again, in our culture, it seems odd to open up this, this ancient book and to teach from it and read from it. But we believe that this is God's revelation to us. It's his word, and it has the power to change us. It's not like any other book. 
And this is God speaking to us. And think about that for a minute. Is that what you think as you gather together on Sunday mornings, when you come to hear God's word? Are you, are you attentive to God's word in the same way you would be as, um, you know, just imagine it. If God ripped a hole in the roof and started speaking to us. I mean, we'd all sit up a little bit more and listen. <laughs> listen. And, and I wonder, how do we engage when God's word is being read, when God's word is being taught. I think we're at a disadvantage a little bit in our culture because we take in so much information, so much teaching, so much speaking um, in the form of podcasts, in the form of YouTube, in the form of sermons or uh, news media. We, we take in so much and we just are trained to listen very passively. You know, you might listen to a podcast or a sermon online and just kind of like walk away and be like, I don't even know what that was about. Or you might uh, binge watch eight TV shows in a row and it's kind of like, well, that was pretty good in the moment, but my brain definitely was switched off. Like we're taught to engage with things with our brains turned off and we even have a word for it. We call it vegging. But when it comes to God's word, man, we can't afford to be passive listeners, to passively engage. We don't come to church and switch our brain off and veg. We're to actively engage. And I love the fact that in this church, man, I just see so many people even right now, you're like, you're like taking notes and you're, you're opening your Bibles and you're uh, just, just following along in whatever way you possibly can. I was talking to a guy in our church who, who told me, he's like, hey, every week, I uh, read the passage ahead of time. If on the bottom of the sermon guide, it says next week, and there's a passage there of kind of like what we're covering the next Sunday. It says, I read that passage ahead of time. I go through and I like create my own outline and sort of like figure out what I think it means. And then I come to church and see if it's any different than what you're preaching. Wow. Like that is some active engagement with God's word. And I love that about our church. And I, I think if that's a struggle for you, if you're struggling with kind of just being a passive engager with God's word, what do you need to do differently a little bit? Maybe it's, it's coming a little earlier, not being so rushed as you come in the door. Maybe it's opening up your Bible and following along. Maybe it's having a physical Bible that you get, take with you so you're not as distracted with notifications. We need to actively engage. Some people say, well, I, I, I listen to sermons online, or I do church online, is that good enough? And again, I love the live streaming on a day like today, but it's so important that we gather together as we hear God's word. Because when we're all sitting together and we kind of see one another and we hear God's word being taught, there's a factor of, oh man, we all just heard that. There's a little bit of accountability to that. Like, I know this, this, this person next to me heard exactly what I heard. We also gather for the purpose of, of uh, sorry, fellowshipping with one another. We gather to fellowship with one another. That's what Hebrews talks about. Uh, Hebrews talks about gathering together and encouraging one another. Don't neglect gathering together but encourage each other. Kind of hard to encourage someone 
when you don't have an opportunity to see them, to be with them. Kind of hard to encourage from a distance. I just think of times being in this church where I've been here on a Sunday morning. I think of uh, uh, the other day, this is a couple years ago, when a guy came up to me out of the blue, and this, this wasn't somebody that you'd expect something like this from, but he came up to me from out of the blue and he's like, hey, uh, I just have sensed that God wants me to tell you something. And he shared something with me that on that particular day was just so encouraging to my soul. And I think of like, if I hadn't been there that morning, I wouldn't have had a chance to be encouraged in that way. If he hadn't been there that morning, he wouldn't have had a chance to encourage me in that way. We need to be together to encourage one another. That's what can happen when we're in fellowship. A fourth, being empowered for the mission of Jesus. And we talk about this a lot as a church. We wanna make disciples who make disciples. Like our strategy is not just to bring people in. It's to send you out. We've cast a vision for being in a movement of everyone every day, everyone in our church being an everyday disciple maker, everyday fisher of men. And so when we gather together, we wanna do what the church did in Acts 4. In Acts 4.31, it says, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. And when we come together, we wanna ask God to empower us in such a way that we would, when we go out from this place, we would speak God's word boldly as we're sent out. That our times of gathering together would be a, a powerful time of the a fuel being poured on the fire of a movement of disciples who make disciples. Finally, the purpose of gathering is helping the outsider encounter God. Helping the outsider encounter God. I want to take a minute and explain this a little bit. Um, this is a little controversial at times. There's a little bit of a debate between different churches about who uh, worship is for. These times of public worship, who is that for? And churches tend to fall on a spectrum with this. Uh, some churches on the one end say worship is just for insiders. I would call these maybe insider-focused churches. Uh, that worship is just for convinced believers. These churches tend to you know, preach the truth. They do a great job preaching believers but they're not really expecting anyone that uh, doesn't believe or maybe is just new to Jesus or new to church. And these churches even at times pride themselves in being small. Um, sometimes with the logic that, hey, we're, we're small because we're preaching the truth. And you know, there's a lot of people that can't hang with us. Actually, the reality at times is that they're small because it feels like this club, this click that no one can break into. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there are churches that say, no, we're all about reaching the lost. We're, um, you know, worship is primarily for outsiders. It's not really for insiders. It's not for believers. It's, it's for those outside the faith. It's for those who are lost. We want to reach the lost. And these outsider churches, you may have heard them called seeker churches. Um, this really became popular during the seeker-sensitive uh, movement in the 90s and 2000s. And these churches, they tend to water down the message. They, they would avoid maybe singing songs about the blood of Jesus. 
um, and, and basically doing anything that might offend someone who is not yet a believer. And so there's kind of a divide. There's a different sort of end of the spectrum that a lot of churches fall on today. And so what does the Bible say? Who is worship for? Well, I want to go to another verse quickly just to look at today. 1 Corinthians 14. Paul is teaching about worship. He's teaching the church about having order in their worship and what that should look like. And as he talks about different spiritual gifts, he talks about the gift of speaking in tongues. It's a miraculous gift that's given to some to speak in other languages. And it's compared to the gift of prophecy. Paul defines prophecy in verse three as speaking to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. And so Paul, in this section, he says, hey, don't speak in tongues without interpretation in your public gatherings because, in verse 23, he says, when people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of the, your minds? A couple things on this. There clearly was an expectation that public worship wasn't just going to include believers. That there would be unbelievers that come in, outsiders that join. And so Paul here, he's not telling them, hey, don't, don't preach hard truths of the Bible. Or he's not telling them, hey, don't uh, preach the Bible. It might offend these people. No, Paul says, hey, I don't want you to do anything that's going to unnecessarily um, scare them off. And so we can understand even today, uh, even though we don't speak in tongues publicly in our services, we, we still need to follow this greater principle of outsiders um, and of understanding that, that there are uh, things we need to be aware of, that there are people in our midst that aren't necessarily convinced of the truths that we hold to, and we welcome that. We welcome people that come and just want to check out, hey, what, what is this whole Christianity thing about? Who is Jesus? Who are here to, to explore seekers, you could say. And so for us, um, man, we preach the scriptures. We don't water anything down, but we want to make sure that we explain everything. There's a lot of things in the Bible, a lot of complicated, you know, justification, atonement. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things that as we read the scriptures, it can sound like a foreign language to people. So here at Trinity, we, we say we want to explain everything. We're not going to shy away, but we want to explain. Paul says, continues on and says, it's better to prophesy, um, speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation, so that when some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he's convicted by all and called to account by all, the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. And that's part of what can happen as we gather together publicly. That people would come and say, man, there's something about what I experienced. Where God did a work in me. The Holy Spirit convicted my heart through that. That I became aware of my sin. I became aware of my need for God. I became aware that God is real. And that God is really among these people. So that question of who is worship for, I don't think the Bible necessarily lands on any one extreme there. Certainly, worship is for believers, but we're to be aware 
of unbelievers in our midst and be hospitable to people. And so for us, we would say we want to be a both-and church, uh, a church that can be experienced both by believers and by unbelievers, a church that reaches unbelievers but also disciples believers, a church that fulfills the Great Commission, both baptizing new believers and also discipling people and obeying everything Jesus commanded them. And so we don't have to pick and choose. This is a false choice here. Our worship gatherings will be full of biblical truth, full of life, full of worship, and we're gonna do everything we can at the same time to welcome in those who are new to church, those who are new to Jesus, those who are exploring, those who are seeking. We're gonna do everything we possibly can without watering down any of the truth of God's word or the gospel. Think about for a minute um, that person that maybe you know that uh, isn't yet a believer in Jesus. I think of someone in my life that I've been um, having a lot of just great spiritual conversations with lately and invited her to church, her and her family many times. And I just think of what would she experience with her family and her kids as she came to this church. Because it's, it's a little scary. She has a lot of questions like, um, are you guys a cult? <laughs> she has questions about the church. And it can kind of be scary for someone who's an outsider, as Paul talks about, to come to a church. And so for us, we want to do everything we can to be hospitable. Think about what you want them to experience. Someone you love, that you've uh, invested in a relationship with, that uh, you've just gone deep with in their journey. And as you invite them along the way to be a part of a worship gathering at our church, what would you want them to experience? You'd want them to hear God's word being preached. You'd want them to experience a vibrant body of believers that are uh, actively engaging in worship, singing songs like they believe what they're singing, worshiping like they believe God exists, like they believe the gospel's real. You'd want them to experience kind of hospitality and um, you know, coffee and having people open doors as they come in. That's so important. You'd want them as they, if they have kids, you'd want them as they kind of go back into our kids area, you'd want them to have a sense of confidence. It's a big deal to drop off your kids to someone that you don't know. You'd want them to have a sense of confidence as they talk with, you know, Sunday school teachers, as they see someone who's on the security team as they talk with uh, staff, you'd, you'd want them to have a sense that my kids are gonna be well taken care of. You'd want them, as they come and, and, and gather, you'd want them to experience a place and even a building where it looks like, um, hey, we care. We care. We keep things up. We have heat. You know, we, we expect that people will be coming together and gathering. We want them, of course, more than anything, to encounter God. And so we want to lead them uh, to know Jesus. And we do that in so many different ways as a church. But in our public gatherings, uh, we can be hospitable. We can encourage an outsider 
to not feel like an outsider anymore. And we can roll out the welcome mat to a God who says, welcome home. To anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, we can give that same offer. So I'd encourage you this morning as we um, close, hopefully you have a better picture of worship. Hopefully you have a better picture of why we gather regularly and what the purpose of that is. Hopefully it's something that you could share with your kids or somebody that has questions. But also I wanna encourage you, as we've been doing the last couple days to, or last couple Sundays, I wanna encourage you to take a next step. Uh, in the seat back pocket in front of you or if you're sitting in the risers underneath the seat, there's a next steps card. And if you filled that out last week, hopefully we got a chance to follow up with you. There may be a little bit more follow up we need to do this week. Um, and again, if you check that box, I want a pastor to follow up with me, we will um, get to that and we will follow up. But if you didn't get a chance to do that or if you've kind of been thinking about that all week and uh, you wanna do that this morning, I'd ask you to do that. Uh, take out that next steps card and maybe it's an area where you'd like to serve. Maybe there's something here on Sunday morning where you feel like, you know what, I can do that. I can open a door, I can hand out a bulletin, I can pray with people, I can help with coffee. I encourage you to do that. I mean, we need an army of people to create an intentional environment here on Sunday mornings. And so many of you are doing that already. Maybe it's some other area where you feel like God's leading you to take a next step, to be in a small group, to be discipled one-on-one where you can grow in your faith. Man, there's so much that happens beyond public worship on Sunday morning. This is just kind of the tip of the iceberg for what happens in this church. And so I encourage you to take that, if you haven't had a chance to, fill that out, and then you can drop it in the boxes as you leave. And again, if you check that box, I want a pastor to follow up with me. Um, We'll do that this week. Let me pray with you. God, we thank you I just thank you for the opportunity to be together on a day like today. Thank you that we're not alone. Um, And thank you that you um, have called us your people, you've called us your children, and you've given us a way to both um, come together in fellowship with you, to worship you, to praise you, and to fellowship with one another, and it's a beautiful thing. God, thank you that we can celebrate that um, and celebrate you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.